This is the On The Touchline podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater. Welcome to the show. I had mentioned this on Twitter recently, but the amount of incredibly intelligent and interesting people that I get to talk to because of this podcast is truly inspiring to me as a coach and to me as a person who loves soccer. Uh, This week alone, I had the chance to talk to someone who's coached internationally and with international federations, uh, but is also now coaching at the junior college level. Had a chance to talk to someone who played Division I soccer and what that experience was like and now runs a soccer academy. In episode 13, it's my privilege to introduce you to Shay Haddo. Shay is the owner and founder of Alpha Girl Soccer Academy in Sacramento, California. She is the former Division I soccer player that I mentioned earlier, having played at Virginia Commonwealth University and Utah State. Shay's done a number of things in the game of soccer, much like many of the guests that come on this show. And the thing that I find remarkable about Shay is her commitment to the women's side of the game, and especially the empowerment that she's trying to provide to young girls and young women in the game of soccer. She talks a little bit about how her confidence at times waned when she was a player throughout her club and collegiate career, and how she's trying to impart that on the players that she's training and coaching. Shay is also a podcast host. And she just launched the Alpha Girl Soccer Podcast. So if you have a chance, do give that a listen as well. I hope you enjoy my conversation in episode 13 of On the Touchline with Shay Haddo. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. And, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I tell every guest that comes on this show, I have a feeling that uh, I've gotten connected with them uh, via social media. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, I can tell you from afar that uh, I definitely admire your work. Uh, and I'm sure we'll, we'll delve into that as part of this conversation. But um Tell the folks a little bit about your backstory and, you know, where you grew up and sort of, uh, you know, how soccer got you to where you are uh, in your life right now. Yeah, so I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, lived there pretty much my whole life as opposed to the last like three years. Um, So I started playing soccer at the age of three, four. Um, My brother played and honestly, I just wanted to do whatever my brother wanted to do. Um, so I grew up playing with the boys, me and my best friend, we played with boys in, in uh, competitive until we were about 12 years old. And then we went to join, um, one of the best clubs in Utah, all girls club called Utah Avalanche. Um, and we stayed with that club until we, you know, went off to college. Um, and then obviously played, uh, division one, I, I played, I got two offers, uh, Utah state and Virginia Commonwealth. And me wanting to be different than everybody else, I <laughs> decided to go to VCU. Um, and the reason why I chose that school is just the coach who is uh, Sahadak and Tim Sahadak. Um, she was on the World Cup team with 
you know, Mia Hamm and Brandy Chastain. Um, so that was an awesome experience. And then I actually transferred um, back to Utah State, you know, as an 18-year-old homesick kid. I was ready to come back to Utah. So transferring to Utah State, um, which was a good decision. Um, I love the coaches. I love the team. And I still have, you know, great connections with that community. Um, and then from there, just, you know, I, I wasn't really planning on getting into coaching. Um, I was more into the, um, like, athletic administration side of things at Utah State, um, working a few different jobs there. And I did coach one U10 uh, girls team. Um, but then when I moved here, it was so hard to find a job in, you know, athletic administration if you didn't already have an in. Um, so from there, I kind of just started doing, you know, my one-on-one -on -one trainings through through coach up and started getting some kids doing that. Um, and then from there, you know, that's when I joined on um, as a club coach and then just kind of grew my business and then did some coaching at the junior college level as well. And then from there, you know, I decided that the best way for me to be able to grow personally and as a coach and to help more girls is for me to basically just do my own thing and train girls one-on-one, -on -one, do all my camps, my clinics, and just, you know, empower girls, build their confidence that way. So that's kind of my soccer story. Yeah. Well, you, you said the word that uh, I, I was going to use and uh, you, mm -hmm. were, you, you were kind of read my mind there of, uh, you know, empowerment or empowering uh, young women and is the uh, the dad of two little girls that uh, mm -hmm. are, not, are not quite soccer age yet, but will be will be there someday. Um you know, I'm wondering what it was like for you, you know, growing up in Utah, uh, playing against the boys and now, you know, sort of giving back to the game in a different way as a coach of what are you trying to teach, uh, you know, young girls, young women in terms of empowerment or, um, you know, sort of that, uh, I guess I would use the word equality uh, in the game. Right. Yeah, so just playing against the boys, it's funny, like thinking back on it, it makes me laugh because... <laughs> boys hated playing against me and my friend you know they hated losing to us we would get negative comments from parents like hey don't let this girl beat you you know she can't beat you stuff like that and then you know on the flip side we we joined this all female club our our coaches you know I did have some male coaches in that club too but the the female coaches there were they're honestly what got me wanting to do what I do because they empowered us and it was you know, they were all about building our confidence and empowering females, whether that's through the sport or through business or whatever it is. Um, so that's just what I want to teach my girls. And I struggled with confidence a ton throughout my whole playing career, whether that was club or college. So that's a, the main thing that I work to do um, is just to improve their confidence, not only on the field, but just off the field in their daily life and their academics and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So if folks were to, uh, I guess, ask you your coaching philosophy or coaching style, uh, what, what would you say? I would say my coaching style, it differs a little bit when I'm doing private training versus when I'm with a team. Um, but overall, I want my kids to have fun and I want them to learn. Um, obviously, I, I want them to be competitive as well. But the main thing for me is if kids are having fun and if they're learning, they're going to be developed. So I coach in a very positive, lighthearted kind of way. Um, I'm not someone that's going to, you know, scream and yell at the kids unless they're really pissing me off. <laughs> but no, I just, I just like to keep it fun. Um, because there was a time when I played where 
I wasn't having fun and I was so close to quitting the sport. Um, so my big thing is just development and them having fun and staying in the sport because this sport has so much to teach these kids, um, you know, life skills, not only on the field, but so much off of the field. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I can say from my own experience, uh, that is why I, I walked away from uh, playing soccer at the youth level uh, was because it wasn't fun anymore. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, I, I've talked a lot about uh, on the show of uh, the different types of coaches I had and sort of their, uh, you know, if, if I had folks who were more willing to sort of, you know, put their arm around my shoulder and say, like, hey, Jay, like, you can do this, man, you just got to believe in yourself. And, you know, kind of dig deep for it or whatever, as opposed to, um, you know, the, I guess I would say the overly critical yellers, screamers mm-hmm. <laughs> that uh, I'm sure we've all encountered <laughs> at different times in our career. So, um, yeah, I, I wonder, uh, you know, you talked a little bit about the coaches you had uh, along your journey, but um, tell me more about them in terms of uh, sort of what, I don't know, set them apart or, uh, you know, made that impression on you as a, as a young player to keep going. You know, it's funny because I absolutely love my coaches, but I am totally different in how I coach from them. Um, when I joined that club, Utah Avalanche, the it's an extremely competitive club. Um, so they were very strict. They were, um, they were very, uh, let's see, I don't want to say in a bad light, but they were hard on us. Um, if we, if we weren't doing what we were supposed to do, we would know about it. Um, and now that I look back on it, like I'm glad that they did because it, because it made me a better player, but it also pushed me to the point of almost quitting. Um, so I just believe that there is a fine line between that kind of coaching style, you know, the extremely, some kids can handle the, the yelling and the criticizing and some kids can't. Um, so I think it just depends on who you're coaching. And as a coach, you kind of have to know your players in the sense that who you can kind of harp on and who you have to be a little bit more careful with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I would agree. I mean, there's no, there's no one size fits all. Right. And uh, right. it's, um, I don't know. I, I think it's difficult and, and it comes down to, you know, knowing your players and sort of what, motivates them or doesn't motivate them and uh you know that sort of thing and maybe that's a a good segue into you know culture in terms of how do you build you know sort of the the desirable culture that you want uh in your coaching experiences and whether that be you know uh with a small group training or whether that be with a team that you're managing or you know a different experience you've had along the way at club or junior college or, or whatever um you know, t- tell me about that in terms of sort of creating that culture piece um, from a, a coaching perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing, obviously, it comes down to if you don't do this right, then it's not going to happen. But you need to set clear, you know, expectations, team rules um, of what what each player should expect being on that team. So I think if if you don't have a, a set of expectations and rules then players are going to kind of do whatever they want. Um, and the thing with is having a good culture is one, you need to have those expectations and rules, but as a coach and, you know, if you have coaching staff, it's extremely important that you stick to those rules with no matter what, no matter how good the player is or how bad the player is. Like I had, when I was coaching at the junior college level, you know, we had expectations, but as things went, you know, as the season went on, 
depending on the kid, sometimes the, the head coach would just let things slide. And sometimes if the coach didn't like the kid, you know, he would, he would enforce those rules. And then the culture just, you know, was totally shot because nobody, you know, bought into the culture. So it's about setting those rules and then having buy-in to the culture, because if the kids themselves aren't buying into the culture, then they're not going to take it seriously, you know, and they won't be disciplined and wanting to, uphold those expectations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I've often asked folks um, that I've interviewed in terms of, uh, you know, when does it go sideways, right? When you have a player or players who maybe don't buy into the culture. And if you've ever encountered that experience and, um, you know, what that was like for you as a coach and maybe how did you handle it? Yeah, I mean, the, the one example I can think of is definitely at that junior college level. It was a, it, it was an extremely hard, um, you know, situation because a lot of those girls, you know, they, they came from uh, a lower, lower backgrounds and, and a lot of them had barely touched a soccer ball. You know, they were very low level. Um, but I think that when you do have a kid that does that and when we did – there's the coaches I've noticed if the coaches are not on board if they're not on the same page um, for example like if if you have a kid that does something wrong one coach tells you one thing the other coach tells you the other thing so I think it's super important that all the coaches on a coaching staff are on the same page and they're they're putting out the same message to the individual and to the team because when you have two separate messages going on one it confuses the kids it confuses it kind of blurs the lines of what should be expected. Um, so when you have one consistent message, there is no question about what's expected. I couldn't agree more in terms of, uh, you know, continuity um, when it comes to a, a coaching staff. In my coaching experience, I mean, uh, have, have had times where, um, you know, that, that continuity wasn't there. And so the, the left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing. And, you know, communication breakdowns, um, not only away from the field, but, you know, while training sessions were going on, while matches were going on, it makes for a really, really, you know, topsy-turvy, uh, you know, it's almost being on like a, a flight across the country and there's a lot of turbulence, you know, uh, there's going to be where it kind of like, you know, you feel the plane go up and down and it's like, man, we could have really you know, mitigated some of those circumstances if we would have just maybe communicated better or worked a little more closely together or even just philosophically got on the same page. Because, you know, I think sometimes, um, you know, we we as coaches are great at telling other people what to do, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. But man, we are sometimes the worst at telling, like, you know, working alongside people and sort of being vulnerable and being honest and being, you know, uh, upfront with people when we need to be. And, um, yeah, so I've seen that go both ways and, you know, that's kind of a, that's a tough one. So. Yeah. Um, And I I know you're going to have arguments, you know, coaches are, you're never going to always agree on the, on the, on everything, but I think it's just important that you have those side conversations away from the kids. And that when you do speak to the team or to individuals that you are like on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a couple of different directions that, that I would like to go. Um, tell me what it was like, uh, having never been one, uh, what it was like to be a Division I uh, women's soccer player and the, I don't want to say the structure, but the, the demands on your time and sort of what that process was like 
you know, even through uh, high school and, you know, in the club game of being recruited and, you know, deciding to sign on to a, a university to play. And then, you know, like you said, I mean, you, you go across the country. Um, I, I, I've been to Richmond, I've been to VCU and, uh, you know, nice place. I, I certainly can understand why you picked it, but I can also understand, man, you know, when you're away from friends and family and you're sort of in this kind of manufactured environment where right. you're meeting people for the first time and it's like, you're trying to find your place and, you know, it's like, well, okay. Like, okay. Yeah. So I, I'm just curious as to what that experience was like, um, you know, for you uh, along the way. Yeah. So as, you know, as a high school kid, it's a scary thing when, you know, you're like, Oh, I want to play in college and hoping that colleges look at you and, you know, when you're playing in games and you see colleges watching your game, it can be an extremely stressful situation, you know, and, and it makes kids nervous when they see college coaches out there. Um, but I was lucky that my team was so good that all I had to do was go out there and play. And I know that colleges were going to, you know, be watching us. So my recruiting experience was fairly easy, not to say it wasn't stressful, but it was fairly easy in the fact that I didn't have to do a whole lot compared to what a lot of kids need to do. Um, but just like, yeah, at, you know, like you said, in, in Richmond, it's an awesome place. But that's a scary thing for an 18-year-old. Um, I had a teammate that came with me, um, but it's the demands of, of Division One college athletics. Like, although, you know, those four years of my life were maybe the best four years of my life, it was also maybe the hardest four years of my life. Um, and just like you said, like it's it's there's very structured um, parts to your day. Um, you know, you have a schedule. Your coaches give you a schedule. You have your weights in the morning, and then you have your set classes, and then you have your set practices and study hall. So everything's very structured. But if you don't, if you're not working hard in those, then you know it can be a very hard situation. Um, so like like if you're not performing in the classroom you know, you're going to get reamed on by your coaches. If you're not performing in practice, you're going to get reamed on by your coaches. You know, and when you think about it, college athletics is a business, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're not performing and then your coaches, and if your coach isn't performing, their job is in jeopardy. So they need players that are going to help them win, honestly, you know, to keep their job. Um, so just kind of, yeah, the day-to-day, -day, like in season, like I said, you have, you know, you have to be a full-time student um, and then you have practices, you travel. So tr with traveling, you really have to make sure you are on top of all of the stuff that you're going to be missing from your classes. Um, and then off season almost is tougher than in season because if you hate running, like I hate running, then off season is awful because that's all you do is run. <laughs> um but it's, it's, like I said, it's, it was one of the best experiences of my life. Just the sense of you immediately have a, a family of 30, you know, you don't have to go out and find friends. You immediately have a family um, in, in your teammates and, you know, kind of those parent figures in a sense and your coaches. So even whether you're across the country or you're close to home, you have that family and they will always be like those, those girls are still my best friends and, you know, it, it's something that can never be replaced. Just the experiences of playing in college. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering, you had mentioned your brother uh, a little bit earlier in the mm -hmm. conversation and, 
what what it was like at your house growing up so um you know i can see in my daughters that they are starting to idolize their older brother uh my eight-year-old son and you know he's heavily involved with soccer and, and whatnot and so knowing that that influence happened but also you know this idea that comes up fairly often on the show of so- soccer starting at home and not not my idea uh but um you know borrowing it from uh, a person by the name of tom buyer um you know that having that culture where you know uh people are encouraging you to kick a ball around and to be active with a, a soccer ball and things like that what was that like at your house growing up and also knowing that you had an older brother that played um you know as well yeah so my family you know we were all very involved in in sports my my dad played soccer growing up my mom played softball um and my dad was my dad was a coach um for me for a while so, and, you know, soccer was a big part of our life. So soccer at home was huge. Like I know a lot of kids now, like I see they, they only practice soccer when they're at soccer. But for me, like it was, I just loved having my ball going out in the backyard, juggling, doing moves, whatever it was. Um, so that was a huge part for me in, in developing, you know, I don't have a private trainer. I didn't have camps and stuff that I went to so the biggest part of my development was like I you know you said is just playing soccer at home and playing with my brother trying to beat my big brother um you know we were super competitive with each other and we still are um so yeah just like you said the the culture of of the sport at home is huge um and I think the kids that I've seen that are you know a little bit ahead of the other kids is the kids that are doing that work at home I couldn't agree more. Um, I ha- actually almost had a an identical conversation with a, a colleague recently that if if parents or if players are relying strictly on us as coaches for their soccer development, we're only a small piece of it. And mm-hmm. you know, I to go as far as to say they're doing it wrong if they're relying on us. Maybe um, because, you know, if you're training two, three nights a week, maybe maybe a match on the weekend or maybe a tournament here and there, um, there's a, a lot of other time. And when people, you know, they, they sort of give me that, you know, kind of sideways look when I tell them, that, like, you know, even on off days where we don't have a structured team training, go out and do something. Even a, a half hour a day makes all the difference. And I see it with my U10 boys right now that I can tell, you know, it's the old line, like, you know, the, the teacher in elementary school, like knows who did their homework and who didn't. Right. And, then, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, y- you know, and I know when kids cut corners and when they sort of, and an instance came up recently where I had a player ask me, um, so we've been working on different, um, you know, uh, technical uh, moves and, and foot skill uh, drills or whatever in our, our trainings. And we're in, in the middle of futsal season right now. And there's a, a move that we've done pretty consistently, right? And this player is asking me, you know, hey, coach, can you show me how to do that? Not opposed to a player asking me, you know, for some extra help or whatever, you know, once a training session is going on. However, this wasn't necessarily a new topic, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, that, like I said, uh, work away from the field or, you know, in this case, a, a court for futsal. I mean, I was like, hmm, I just wonder if they're, if they're putting, in, putting in the extra time. And 
um, you know, then I, I think that's where kids start to separate themselves, uh, you know, uh, maybe in the long run. So it's interesting. Yeah, totally <laughs> it, it's interesting. So I'm curious. So, so back to empowerment and empowering, um, you know, young girls and, and young women, there's a whole lot of people, uh, well, tie this all together in a couple of different ways. The access to soccer in this country has probably never been higher, right? You, right. Can, you can turn on, you know, virtually any network at this point, any sporting network and find soccer. And I love that. You know, you can watch ESPN Plus, you can watch, you know, NBC for Premier League, you can watch Bundesliga, you can watch uh, Lifetime for NWSL or, or whatever. Mm. However, I do feel like in the women's game that there's definitely things get shortchanged, right? It's very male driven. It's very, you know, here's Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi and some of the other, you know, well-known players on, on the men's side. For players on the female side, especially here in the U.S., just given the the success the uh, you know U.S. women's national team has had, you know people can point to Alex Morgan or Carly Lloyd or you know I often tell people that, that Tobin Heath is one of my all-time favorite players. Same. Um, <laughs> I mean, she just she can boss matches like no one else. And uh, so, what was that like for you? you know, is a, is a young girl growing up in Utah. I mean, who, who did you turn to to sort of be your soccer idols or maybe you didn't have any, I don't know. Man. Yeah. So let's see, I was born in 91. So I was eight years old when the uh, 99 world cup was going on. Um, <laughs> so 100%, I was obsessed with Mia Hamm. I had Mia Hamm quotes all over my, my wall. I had a Mia Hamm poster in my bedroom um, and then I remember also Surf Cup, um, that Brandy Chastain was there signing one of her books. Um, so I have Brandy Chastain books. So definitely that group, that core of that 1999 World Cup team. And honestly, if, if, I, if they weren't there, like if they didn't play in that World Cup, then I honestly don't know who I would have looked to as role models. I feel like, especially at that time, that was it. Like the World Cup, the national team. That was it. I don't even know if there was, you know, you know, any kind of women's pro team at that time because it was kind of off and on for so long. Um, but that's why I, I push it so hard for kids now, because like you said, there is more access and, you know, at the NWSL and, you know, their partnership with Lifetime and everything. And especially this year with the World Cup going on, I'm always pushing like, hey, you guys need to watch these games, study these games, and really look to these these women as being role models for you because because they were that for me, and they they really pushed me to work harder than I would have without their um, without their presence. You know, so I think that's huge for role models because as women we don't have as many because it's a male dominated field. Um, but like you said, there definitely is more access. So I just think that kids need to take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I, I agree. And I think that, um, you know, I, I have found watching the, the women's college game and the, um, you know, it, it, well, it could be any level, D1, D2, D3. I, I have found those matches incredibly entertaining um, and almost a, a supplement to some of the other soccer that I watch. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I find myself watching a lot of that. I watch the, you know, the, the final four, um, or the, the college cup, um, you know, a, a few months ago or whenever that was, I mean, that was incredibly 
and, you know, uh, great to watch. And, and, and plus, I mean, you know, I, I will fully admit my, my bias toward An- uh, Anson Dorrance that, um, <laughs> I mean, he's one of, the, one of the coaches that I absolutely idolize and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, admire what he's done at, at Carolina. So, um, so for you, where, where do you see all this going? Uh, is a, is a coach or is a, a person who, you know, works with young people? Um, where do you see it going? For me personally, like I said, you know, back at the beginning is I, I am not doing any kind of club coaching or any kind of team coaching other than, you know, coaching a, you know, a training, a, a team, you know, once a week here and there. But for me, it's, it's more than just soccer for me. Um, I might be like de- beating a dead horse saying all this kind of stuff, but most, most of the time when parents do come to me for help, you know, one-on-one or whatever that is, it's because their daughters are not confident. Um, so for me, it's just about building out, you know, my one-on-one training is great, but like, like you said, you know, I started my own podcast and the reason for that is I just want to be able to reach as many girls as I possibly can you know, to help build their confidence, you know, improve their technical skills, um, you know, be able to play in college if that's something they want to do. And, you know, another big part of what I'm doing that I just started building out as well is, you know, helping kids with the college recruiting process. So I have a few kids that I'm helping now to just kind of help them um, know how to be seen, know how to talk to coaches, the research that needs to be be done, Um, so instead of just kind of the training aspect of it, I'm trying to reach kids on a deeper level and also on a level, not just in Sacramento, not just local, but, you know, as far and as wide as I possibly can. Yeah. Uh, and I, I mean, full admiration, uh, to you for, um, you know, I would say entrepreneur, (laughs) right? I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that's a a safe uh, way to describe your work. And, um, like you said, it's not just the training, it's now sort of the additional value added of having gone through the recruiting process. I think you could probably speak pretty knowledgeably about that to a parent. Right. And, Mm um, and I, I really love what you said, Shay, about the, uh, the confidence piece, because, you know, uh, the, the young, um, you know, girls that I've coached in my career, like, yeah, that seems to be sort of an underlying, you know, issue. And, you know, how do you bring out the best version of that person uh, and how you coach them and how you talk to them? You know, and that there's a very stark difference between how I coach female players and how I coach male players mm-hmm. and, um, you know, sort of what they need and, and, and whatnot. So I, I, I love that. Um, tell the the folks listening to this about your podcast and, um, you know, some of the things you have going on with, um, I want to make sure I get the name right, Alpha Girl Soccer, right? So, yes. Uh, yeah, uh, go ahead. I'll, 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 you, you have the floor. Cool. So, yeah, my podcast, I just started it. Um, it's, it's aimed to help girls specifically. So the girls that I work with range anywhere from eight years old and my oldest right now is 16 years old. So the podcast is aimed at helping you know, teenage girls um, develop their confidence, develop their their mental understanding of the game, and just overall help them become better players and more confident players. Um, you know, I'll have a, I had a podcast actually got today that was more aimed at parents and coaches and what we can do, you know, to improve the youth game. But overall, it's it's for female youth players, and I don't know if there's anything else out there for specifically um, that group. 
Um, so like I said before, it's just my way of being able to reach more girls um, just outside of, of what I'm doing with my one-on-one training. Was the, uh, the, the name, uh, I guess, of your business. Um, so I, I was like, wow. I'm like, that's a really good name for a business. <laughs> I assume there was probably quite a bit of thought that went into that. And, uh, you know, when I think of an alpha girl, right. So to go back to Tobin Heath, uh-huh. I think of her and, uh, you know, uh, Carly Lloyd to a certain extent. I mean, heck, any of the, the, the you know, U.S. women's uh, national team players. I mean, a- Abby Wambach at one time. I mean, mm-hmm. so I, I'm curious as to how you arrived at the uh, the name. You know, it's just just I wanted the name to be apparent that it was for girls. Um, and then I also wanted to have a word that was, you know, brought a sense of strength and empowerment you know, so then uh, obviously the world alpha pops into my head. So it honestly didn't take me that long to think of it once I knew exactly who I wanted to work with. It was just about finding the right, you know, words that would describe what I want my girls to feel like, you know, as they're training with me in the program. Yeah, yeah. So uh, a question that I ask uh, everybody that comes on this show and you can take this in whatever direction you'd like. Uh, what are we doing right, and what are we doing wrong in the U.S. when it comes to soccer? Hmm, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> so, well, you, un- you you can go in any direction you'd like. Unfortunately, I feel like we're doing more wrong, but maybe I'm incorrect in saying that. But let's start off with what's going right. Um, and I think what we are doing right is. I think that we are growing the game in the U.S. I think we'll probably have more youth soccer players and just general, um, you know, uh, what's the word, uh, involvement in soccer than ever before. Um, so I think we're doing that right and just just growing the game and trying to get on, you know, the level of, of the European nations. Um, but what we're doing wrong, so a big thing that I have been thinking about lately is you know, when I'm training, I, I see a lot of rec teams practicing, and I have a few kids that I train that are part of uh, rec organizations. And when I watch those those practices, it honestly, it breaks my heart. I'm like, oh, my gosh, like these kids are not learning anything. Um, so, you know, at the, rec, at the rec level, you know, all the coaches are, well, pretty much they're all parent volunteer coaches, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I just think that that if we were to somehow educate those parents and it doesn't need to be some big, you know, licensing like we have with comp coaches, but if we were just to educate them on the, you know, the basics, how to even pass a ball, how to shoot a ball, how to run, you know, a simple structured practice, that if we were to build it from the the rec uh, level, you know, then those kids, when they do come to a comp level, they already know how to pass and dribble and shoot. And, and that kind of stuff. So I just think if that's one thing that is wrong that we don't, I don't think we have any education for, you know, rec leagues. I'm sure there are some around that do have some sort of education in place for those parents. Um, but at least in Sacramento, I know that there's really nothing out there for those parents and no parents want to do it because they don't know how. So I think that's a big thing. And maybe just education in general, um, you know, maybe at the the, um, the competition level, licensing is so expensive, um, you know, and I know there's there's just 
a lot of investment that you have to make. You know, there's two weekends that you have to take and, you know, up, upwards of $500, $1,000 per license. Um, so I just think that kind of the education as a whole is something that we need to work on. Yeah, I completely agree. And, um, you know, it's interesting. So growing up in an area here, uh, you know, in the Pittsburgh area that has a lot of moms and dads and, uh, and, and you know, uh, invested in coaching uh, their son or daughter, but not a lot of folks had played. And, mm-hmm. um, and that, that's absolutely okay. I don't think you know, it, it, it's, it's value added if someone has played before, but I don't think it's necessarily the right. only requirement for someone to coach. And so while I appreciate, you know, Jimmy's dad or Susie's dad or whoever <laughs> uh, stepping up to want to wanna be a part of it, and what I have found, it's more of a way uh, for, for them that they want to spend more time with their kid. That's great. Um, the problem is in how they teach or even their own willingness to want to learn because Shay of what you said, I mean, the basics, right? Mm-hmm. How, how, I mean, how to make a simple, you know, uh, uh, pass with a little bit of pace on it, how to, um, I, I mean, I, you know, how to, how to strike a ball. I mean, I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, just very simplistic, you know, things. And I just don't think we're there yet. I, man, I really hope we get there. Um, you know, because I, I've seen that and it's like, I think we're setting ourselves back in some ways, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I don't know. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think your answer is, uh, is absolutely spot on. So, um, and it's okay. You can, you know, the, the, the cool thing about this podcast, you can say whatever you want. So <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we sometimes not often, uh, I, my friend, uh, John, uh, that hosts the, uh, 343 podcast, uh, he, he's a little bit more of a flamethrower than I am, but, um, you know, I've, uh, I've told him, I'm like, well, okay, maybe I'll venture into some of those, uh, you know, sticky topics. So, right. Yeah. If, uh, if folks want to connect with you, um, and the nice thing is this, uh, show has, has gained a little bit of a following. So my thanks to, uh, folks who listen to the show, but if folks want to connect with you and, learn more about your story or reach out for ideas or if they're ever out in Sacramento, um, what is the best way for, for them to do that? Yeah, definitely. So obviously if you have an Instagram, you can find me on there at alpha girl soccer. And then also email is a great way to reach me. So my email is Shay, which is S H A Y. So Shay at alpha girl soccer.com. And, you know, I, like you said, I'm always willing to share ideas. Um, I want to do everything I can you know, to improve the game for, for youth athletes. So if you want to chat, let me know, send me a message on either of those. And I'd love to, you know, have a chat with you or if you're in Sacramento, grab a coffee, get talking. Yeah. Well, Shay, thank you so much for uh, coming on the latest episode of the, on the touchline podcast. And um, I just want to give a tip of the cap to you and uh, a nod for putting yourself out there um, because for, you know, folks like us that uh, have ventured into podcast land and coaching land. Uh, you know, I, I say the phrase all the time, it is scary as hell to, <laughs> to, to put yourself out there, right? When you hit public yes. on that Instagram video and you know, you know, people are viewing it because it, they, they give you the analytics and they tell you, but you know, sometimes when you read the comments and I've been absolutely flattered by how 
um, I mean, just how gracious people have been and say, oh my God, like that really resonated with me. And, you know, someone had told me before, one of a, a previous guests, they're like, well, I, I really like your authenticity. And I'm like, well, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's just, I mean, I'm just, just, I'm just doing me, you know what I mean? I'm just, I'm just chatting and, uh, right. and, and saying what's on my mind or whatever. And, um, you know, I, I know, uh, like I said, sometimes before you hit publish, it is scary as hell to do that. And, uh, you know, for, it goes, it, again, the, the theme of this conversation is, uh, you know, empowerment that kudos to you for doing that because, um, you know, I, I want my daughters as they get older that is I'm helping them navigate the soccer game of saying like, hey, look what Coach A is doing. Like, you know, you can follow her on Instagram now as they get older or, you know, if you want to reach out to her, go ahead. And, you know, she might give you some, you know, good ideas or whatever. And, you know, it, I mean, the, the cliche line, like it truly takes a village. Like it takes mm -hmm. all of us, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's not what just what you're doing in Sacramento. It's not just what I'm doing in the Pittsburgh area. It's not what you know, uh, Alberto Gonzalez is doing just in Atlanta or, you know, Colton in Tennessee or other people that have been on this show. I mean, you know, it takes all of us to like collectively look at our deficiencies, but also say like, we're actually all in this together and we all surprisingly all want the same thing. So how, right. you know, how in the hell can't we get there? Right. Right. Um, so yeah, uh, that's a, that's a bit of a rant for me, but I just want to tell you that, uh, yeah, I have a, a lot of admiration for, for what you're doing. And if it wasn't for that, we probably wouldn't have gotten connected. So, Well, thank you. Because, yeah, like you said, it is scary. Like, I'm not one, I would call myself an introvert, and I don't really like talking. <laughs> so, you know, doing my own podcast and talking with you is definitely out of my comfort zone. But that's what I've learned is that, you know, if you want to make change, and my goal is to just, if I can just help one girl every day, you know, then I'm doing my job. And everything else doesn't matter. All the, the negative comments, whatever, it doesn't matter. So like you said, it's just about making a change and, you know, working together to, to get there. Yeah. Episode 13, Almost in the Books. And before we close up shop, I want to say thank you to my guest, Shay Haddo for coming on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. And Shay, I want to wish you and the Alpha Girl Soccer Academy nothing but success as you continue forward in your soccer journey. And same for the podcast. Uh, I look forward to hearing episodes uh, as they become available. Welcome back on the show anytime you'd like. There are two ways that you can support the On the Touchline podcast. One is through a financial contribution, so you can go to anchor.fm slash on the touchline, and by making a small monthly contribution, actually as low as 99 cents a month, you can support this show financially. Or you can support this show on social media by sharing it out and using the hashtag on the touchline. And when you do that, feel free to tag me at any time on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, at soccer coach JB is my handle and DMs are always open, uh, open to engaging in conversations and anything on your mind as it relates to the game of soccer. New episodes of On the Touchline are available every Wednesday and Saturday, and I have two excellent guests already lined up for next week and can't wait to share those with you. 
This has been the latest episode of On the Touchline. And until next time, I'm your host, Jason Broadwater.